Welcome to episode 164 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Wednesday 19th of July 2017. I'm Carlton Reed, executive editor of bikebiz.com, and this episode is another Spokesman special, this time featuring two famous figures from the American history of mountain biking. They very kindly popped in to see me at home yesterday before I took them on a whistle-stop tour of Hadrian's Wall in Northumberland. But before we get into the gubbins of today's show, here's David with a wee word about our show sponsor. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. I am here in my house in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and I have got two very special guests here. Uh, I've got Charlie Kelly, and I've got Joe Breeze. Amazing. All the way from Marin County, California, two of the founding fathers, and there were mothers, of course, there were two of the founding fathers of mountain biking. Uh, well, howdy, and fantastic that you're here. Well, thank you for inviting us, actually. You know, we've been in England now for uh, several days, and we made several stops where we have a, a presentation that we give uh, uh, mostly orient oriented around my book and the subjects therein, but also around uh, Joe's own contributions because my book is primarily about my own activities and uh, Joe had plenty of his own. Well, we, we share something here, Charlie, in that we have both got books. Which is Hogwarts by Joe Breeze. Doesn't everyone have a book? <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a book? <laughs> there are a few floating, or, floating around. <laughs> So, well, Joe, thank you very much for doing that, that, that forward, by the way. Um, we'll, we'll get on to uh, your book in a minute, Charlie, but just tell us roughly how many stops have you done in the UK? Where have you been? I know you've been, did you start in London? Yes, we, uh, we did a, a, a talk at Look Mum No Hands in London. And from there, we went down to Swanage, uh, where we did a presentation and a bike ride. Now and he's Charlie uh, the bike monger, yeah. Yes, Charlie the bike. What a character he is. Okay. And uh, and then we went up. Uh, where do we go next? Uh, to Nottingham. Nottingham, right? To, and then to, 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 to the Broadway Theater. That was a couple of nights ago. Last night we and, were in uh, Scunthorpe uh, at the uh, Cafe Indy downtown. And you're basically giving a presentation about fat tire flyer. Not so much that we we it, because it's a little broader than that. Of course all the same subjects are covered, but in a kind of a different way because uh, I had a PowerPoint presentation that accompanied the book. 
Uh, but then when Joe decided to join me, then we had to add his own contributions to it. So it is a bit of a combined uh, effort here. Uh, the book on my part and Joe's own story on his own part. So the T-shirt that you're wearing, this is uh, great for radio here, but the T-shirt you're wearing is one of the famous posters yes. of, of Repack, which is in your book also. Right. Uh, it, it's a, for people who don't know what the Repack is, I, I'm absolutely... Uh, clear on what it is so you don't have to teach me but maybe other people but and joe has even taken me on on part of the the repack but just give us a thumbnail sketch of why repack what it is and why is it so important the coaster break was invented around the turn of the 19th and 20th century and uh it was really the primary break for the bicycles that we started uh, scavenging for uh for our own town bikes originally and then because of where we live, uh, we eventually started pushing them up hills. And it turns out that even on junk, coasting downhill on a dirt road is rather fun. And uh, we are blessed with the geography that uh, we found a dirt road that's a little under two miles. And the elevation uh, difference is uh, 1,300 feet for an average grade of 14%. But not all of it even goes downhill, so you have to assume that some of that's quite a bit steeper than 14%. And when we first discovered this, we were still riding our one-speed town bikes. And uh, one trip down that, depending on what kind of brake you had, because I know Otis has never repacked his, but uh, most of the coaster brakes, one trip down, Bendix, for example, a popular brake, uh, would cook that thing so much that the smoke would pour out of it. If there was any grease left, it would be running down the spokes. And uh, the next time you applied that brake, after it cooled off, it would just howl. And so you would go home and repack it. And it was, uh, we were so good at tearing those things down. Uh, but anyway, uh, and it was, the name was almost a joke, of course, you know. It's, uh, but ironically, some years later, uh, and it's the official name for the road is the Cascade Canyon Fire Road. But on official maps, real maps, it would say Cascade Canyon Fire Road and then in parentheses, Repack Road. And I can't, they've, that's gone away now. Uh, <laughs> and the importance of Repack was that it was uh, uh, the crucible. It became, the, it, it really was the very crucible of mountain biking. And this was the, Repack was the magnet that drew all us crazy kids from around Mount Tamalpais together on a regular basis to share our passion for this new bicycle. And, and, and so many, there were 24 of these repack races, uh, mostly in the late 1970s. Uh, and it went, and essentially because the media found out about us, uh, it went beyond our own sphere of influence to infect others with the, with, with the mountain bike. It was only the, what, the fifth race that people were coming from across San Francisco Bay to come to Marin, and maybe on the tenth race, Owen Mulholland came out to do a story for Velo News magazine, which went out to the world. And, and in 1979, I forget what number of race, but uh, Evening Magazine, a TV uh, show uh, from San Francisco, came out to cover to do a segment uh, for that uh, Bay Area lifestyle show uh, on Repack, and it was one of the most popular segments they ever aired, and that went nationwide about a month later and I'm sure there were people who saw uh, this repack telecast 
and we're saying, hey, we used to bomb down the Ozarks or wherever across the country on those old balloon tire bikes back in the 1930s and 1940s. So what we were doing was nothing new. It's just that we were doing it with uh, such an intensity and so much of it that it spread beyond our sphere of influence. And that's why uh, Marin County uh, or, and more Mount Temple Pius or even Repack is seen as the birthplace of mountain biking. One other factor I think that maybe didn't exist anywhere else where people might be taking their old bikes down hills is we also owned racing bikes. And so we knew that you could look at the two bikes together and you see so much room for improvement uh, and maybe uh, if you didn't, uh, if it wasn't competitive, maybe you wouldn't spend the money to do that, but it was competitive and people were looking for uh, the edge, if you will, but also on my part, I was just shattering these bikes right and left and, uh, and every time you had to rebuild your bike, it was just such a pain and you start thinking, well, how much would it cost to have a frame built that would actually stand up to this kind of abuse. And, uh, and ironically, the, what shattered my bikes was not racing down repack, but just using it for my town bike and being a, a big enough and strong enough cyclist that you would fatigue those old frames. And it was already 40 years old and uh, maybe it already been damaged a few times, but that was a problem that uh, I could just see, and I'm sure all my friends could see that there is a lot of room for improvement. And yeah. my friend Joe was the guy who improved it. And your bike is in the Smithsonian. Yeah, uh, Breezer Number 1 uh, has been there for a, a few years now. It was uh, is considered the, the first modern mountain bike. That is, it has a, a frame that I built uh, specifically for what we're doing out of uh, aircraft chromoly tubing is what it was. Uh, and it was the first time that you had all brand new parts on a bike, essentially your first shiny new mountain bike. Previously, we had always used old bikes and there had been one previous attempt for a diamond frame bike, but it actually used all the equipment, and I owned that, uh, it used all the, the equipment that I took right off of my other bike. So uh, it was not really all the way there to a new bike and Joe took it all the way uh, where every part on that bike had never been used before and uh, clearly and I refer to that bike in my book as the most important bicycle of the 20th century. Now I may be right and I may be wrong but that's the side I want in the debate. <laughs> and going back to the repack, yeah. Gary Fisher, because repack can't be run anymore. No. We know that. Yes. But So repack um, is, is, is set in stone, literally set in stone in that there's a there's a, a rock in your museum, in fact, right. which is the Gary Fisher yeah, rock, which, which is... is the, and, and on that rock is, are the numbers, uh, well, 4 colon 22. And, of course, that's four, 4 minutes 22 seconds. That was the, uh, that's the record of all time, and Gary Fisher set that record in 1976 on one of those old clunker bikes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I'm 1.7 seconds slower for eternity. <laughs> you're, you're the second. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the this guy is the third. Um, and, uh, well, uh, the time trial was really maybe the breakthrough because all kinds of people had raced each other downhill, but the time trial was actually a way of measuring things much more carefully. And, uh, and I don't know that anyone had ever conceived of putting a clock on a downhill, um, 
people always race downhill, but generally it's mass start. And uh, it didn't really even feel like any kind of stroke of genius, but it was what we did that day and it took over our lives. Yeah, and Charlie Kelly was the, the race promoter for the 24 repack races. Uh, and he's the guy who, uh, well, uh, brought in the the clocks, the original alarm alarm clock with the sweep second hand and and the navy chronometer to to do it. And I think it was a, on race five, uh, Charlie went down and and bought uh, the, some of the very first uh, digital stopwatches that would record the time to one hundredth of a second. And uh, once I did that, having spent well, it was one hundred and fifty nineteen seventy six dollars, and I don't know what the equivalent is now, but it would certainly be three or four hundred. And uh, having spent that kind of money, uh, there, were, there were two results. One is that uh, I had quite a bit of incentive to put on races having spent the money. And the other is that no one else was going to bother. And so, so you were the boss. Well, one, well I, and that wasn't the intention. The intention was to just make sure that we could do this properly. But, but the, uh, the byproduct is that I became the promoter because I owned the equipment. And... Uh, I don't think that there's anyone who doesn't like the starring role in the movie that they wrote their own, their own script. So, uh, and really, it actually kind of launched me to the, the leadership position in a very small community. I mean, uh, this pond was very small, but uh, by dint of that, it just seemed people were looking to me for some form of leadership. And I had never thought that I had any of those qualities, but they certainly developed because of that. So, Charlie, what were you doing at the time? How old were you at this time? I was uh, about 30 years old, yes. And what were you, what, what well, you know, I was a rock band roadie, and uh, I, uh, I had been working for a rock band uh, since I had gotten out of the Army about, uh, uh, well, actually, I got out of the Army eight years earlier than that, and I had fallen in with uh, some friends. And, of course, since being... Working for the San Francisco rock band is pretty much uh, an ideal situation uh, for a young man unattached at that time. And uh, the guys were uh, really great friends, allowed me to drive all over the country with a big truck and scour old bike shops for the stuff that my friends needed back in Marin. Cool. And same question to you then, Joe. How old were you at the time and what were you doing? In 1976, uh, at the beginning, I, w I would have been uh, 22 years old. And I was uh, building bespoke uh, frames, uh, mostly for racing purposes. Road, uh, road racing right. frames, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had been building road racing frames since uh, 1974. Yeah. And, um, and so, how did you guys meet? <laughs> did you do all the repack rides because of, or did you, did you guys? I met Joe. I met Joe when my friend Before. and I picked him up hitchhiking. What year was that? That was, uh, had to be about 72. Okay, it was uh, before we founded Velo Club Temple Park. Right, right. And, and Joe was uh, then oh, about 18 years old, I guess. And, uh, and this kid is hitchhiking, and my friend picked him up. I was the other passenger. And uh, within about two or three minutes, we had identified each other as passionate cyclists, you know, and... Uh, and we have been really good friends ever since 45 years or so now. Yeah. And that founding of Velo Club Tamil Pies, which I believe was in the fall of 1972, brought together a lot of people very interested in cycling in Marin County. Uh, and and uh, Repack was kind of spawned from that group. Not that uh, Velo Club Tamil Pies 
was a, a mountain bike club. It was a road racing club, but uh, this was something that was concurrent to the mountain bike thing, where the road racing would pretty much occupy the time of many of us uh, from spring to fall. In the winter time, this was the time we we raced at Repack or road mountain bikes, and and just so you. You know, it was uh, very much uh, about just having fun with your friends out in the woods. This was not, uh, this was, yeah, just having that fun out in the woods and the occasional race. Well, uh, as it turned out, and this is something we, we observed that uh, where we live, the towns are at the, in the valleys at the bottoms of the hills. And of course, all the, those hills have some kind of dirt road that goes to the top. And uh, we would push these heavy bikes for half an hour just to get that thrill of riding them down the hill. But uh, what we found is that, okay, you and uh, four or five of your mates go to the top of some hill and you don't just turn around, you throw the bikes down and uh, you hang around for a while and whatever you, you know, uh, enjoy the view, pass the water bottles around. But at some point, one person would look at his bike and it was on. Uh, and and what was on was you didn't have to say why don't we race to the bottom for nothing <laughs> for no prize um, and it 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 was it was every ride because the rides always start uphill they always finish up downhill and every one of those was turning into a very informal but highly competitive race and that was when all the arguments started that you know you got in my way I could you know and and so. Because we were road racers, once again, our road racing was really that one of the catalysts that we that took us beyond what everyone else had done to that point. Because we knew about time trials, and we knew that it's called the race of truth, and we also knew that every one of us wanted to see that road with no one in front of us, and that was the way to do it. And uh, we must have talked it to death for a month or two, but on one afternoon or one morning, actually, at uh, 1976, October 21st. I uh, went up there with a few of my friends and a couple of clocks and we figured out how to time these things and I have no idea whether we even timed them accurately, but we had a result and then it turns out, okay, someone won it. Well now, are you going to retire undefeated or are you going to defend that? Because if you're going to retire undefeated, we never want to see you again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, it, and it also turned out that losing that race wasn't a lot less fun than winning it because you got finally what you were looking for was that road to yourself. So it wasn't ever a mass start. It was yeah. because your road racing background, I mean, time trialing is a very English right. thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a very road bike. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, I hadn't actually considered that before, how, how yeah, road-orientated this is. Time trials in the Tour de France, I guess, but mm. uh, a number of us read International Cycle Sport from the UK. Uh, so we, we, were, we were aware of Beryl, Beryl Burton. I was going to say, who hadn't heard of Beryl Burton, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's, let's come right up to the present then with your book, yes. the, with the forward, Charlie, with the forward by, by with Joe. It's it's a it's a hefty book. This is you 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 gave it to me, and it's you dislocate your shoulder. This is a big big coffee table book, um, with it's just packed with archive photographs. Uh, some from your your youth from the nineteen fifties where you're racing, uh, go what we call I don't know what you call them, but we call them go karts okay, well, down hills. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and it's just it's just unbelievable resource of of early mountain biking. So first of all, tell us how people can get it and how much it costs, and then we'll talk. Well, about- I actually don't know what it would cost in the UK. I know that US is thirty dollars, and you can get it for a little less on Amazon. Um, and uh, I have to say that when you write a book, and you know this yourself, what you send uh, your publisher are computer files of images and text, and then you pray that uh, they do a good job with them. Well, I, I think you've seen the book, and you know that there couldn't be any better job done with this. The printing is magnificent. Uh, they use very expensive papers that make the photographs just jump off the page, and that was out of my control. I have to say, my publisher, well, my agent found the right publisher because... Uh, this is Velo Press. Velo Press, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, in the book, uh, there are so many photos from Wendy and Larry Cragg. If they hadn't taken those photos back then, people would be asking, you, you used to do what? You know, but now there are these photos, or for a long time there have been these photos, and uh, we really have them to thank uh, for this uh, wonderful, this wonderful chronicling of uh, the birth of, of the sport of mountain biking. It is a phenomenal book. I, I will <laughs> give you that. It's like it's, and when you told me the price of it before, it's like that's so much cheaper than my book. And my <laughs> book is much smaller. Uh, so it is phenomenally good value for money. I've got to say that. And just as a as a historian uh, of, of cycling, even a historian of cycling of of this vintage, because you are, you guys are part of history now. Uh, it's it's a wonderful book from a from a historical point of view. But then anybody who's into mountain biking or cycling of any form is going to really love this this book. Well, actually, I, I put the words in there for more than a reason to hold the pictures apart, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, uh, I think that uh, well, every review that I've had uh, has been over the top positive, and uh, certainly I can supply you with a list if you need it. But uh, but uh, I have not had a bad review. Uh, and by the way, you can get this on Amazon. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, because this book is so huge, as you mentioned, it's hard to haul lots of copies around to hand out. And uh, so I've, I'm limited to one copy that I carry with me because otherwise, uh, well, they wouldn't let me on the airline. Yeah, I can, I can well imagine. I think something that makes this book very special is that uh, Charlie essentially wrote the, the bulk of it uh, back in those days. This is firsthand from a person, not now, but back in the days when he was doing it because, of course, Charlie founded the first uh, uh, mountain bike magazine, the Fat Tire Flyer, in fact, was the name. And um, and Charlie was always uh, uh, chronicling the sport. We'd go out on bike rides and he'd whip out his lo- his notebook and start scribbling away and and uh, eventually founded that magazine and, and wrote those stories way back when. And a lot of that is in this book. So it, And it's really fresh from that day in a young voice, in Charlie Kelly's and, young uh, voice. And of course, you can't see this on radio, but here's a <laughs> photograph. We're sitting on top of some peak somewhere near Mineral King. And Joe is a bit amused as he sits uh, down and Charlie is starting to take notes, you know? <laughs> and, and I mentioned this as soon as you arrived here in your hire car. Uh, Joe, you've got the same mustache. <laughs> That's that right. Like Actually, it's a replacement. It, it's, it's a, rep, uh, uh, a, rep, rep, a reproduction. Rep, yeah, that's right. Well, I, 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 I brought it back okay. for the 20th century. Uh, sorry, the 20th anniversary of Breezer in 1997. Uh, so 1997 uh-huh. And now being 2017, I bring it back for the 40th anniversary of building my first mountain bike. And, and read back. Actually, uh, I, saw, I saw it start to appear 
around uh, the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of the first repack race. And at the time, I had a full beard, and uh, and uh, this is my mentor. And I said, "Well, it won't take me as long because I'll just shave off of the other bits, you know." And, uh, and <laughs> so, so we're now sporting. Well, I wouldn't call them similar, but uh, you know. Uh, what we sported then, and, and what's the term for it? It's more than a mustache. It's a well, we, Fu Manchu. We call it the yeah modified Fu Manchu. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's funny. One of our hosts, uh, uh, Charlie Hobbs, uh, when we showed up, he had a goatee. The next time I saw him, he'd shaved into the same configuration. <laughs> right. And I, I suspect he's going to wear it that way for a while. You know. Well, when you drove in here, and I, I kind of I shepherded you into the drive, it's like it was. It's not two Brits coming along here. It's like it's two uh, back in the day mountain bikers. It's like it was obvious who was coming here. Well, I didn't have to double take. Driving in on the wrong side of the road, yeah. were we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, Joe's doing all the driving because oh boy, I, I I don't even trust myself. But he, uh, I had to correct him a couple of times on the way here because he started to go over to the right side of the road. <laughs> yeah. And our roads are kind of narrow in, in terms of so where we live, it's uh, very narrow. And we're going to cut to commercial break okay. now. But when we come back, uh, we are going to have a competition and we are going to have a little conversation about uh, an archive okay. thing on Kickstarter. So we're we'll back yeah. in a, a moment. We're going to cut to David. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And it's it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a longtime loyal advertiser. We're glad to have them back again, of course, in 2017. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years, that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices and what really sets them apart because of course there's lots of online retailers out there but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support when you call and you've got a question about something you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors and these are cyclists i've been there i've seen it these folks this is something we'll talk about in today's show but these are folks who who ride their bikes to and from work these are folks who ride at lunch who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much uh and and so you know that when you call you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about now talking about great deals it is time for jensen usa's annual bike sale their 2017 annual bike sale if if you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Because now it's spring and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and it's time to get back out on your bike. Check out Jensen USA's annual bike sale and you will not be disappointed. They always have great deals on complete bikes. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I'm looking at their website, a 2016 Orbea Occam TR M30, normally $3,999, now just $2,699. What are you waiting for? It's a great bike from a great brand at a great price. Go ahead and check them out. Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. 
Thanks, David. And we are back with uh, show 164 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And I have got Charlie Kelly and Joe Breeze with me in my home, which is, you've got to believe this, amazing. Because I am also a historical piece in that I was mountain biking uh, back in the day. Nowhere near of uh, vintages of you guys, of course. But I was doing stuff... Uh, in the in the 80s and so I have actually in my garage in the in just across there I have got a, a 1980s bike I can no longer ride it it's a museum piece yeah, I'm a muse pe- museum so piece if I'm a museum piece then you've got to be museum pieces which uh, I believe you rode in the first world championships uh, representing the the British team mountain bike team that's actually Cannondale we actually had a sponsorship with Cannondale so we rode these fat tube yeah, yeah. Alumi- <laughs> aluminum aluminium Cannondale bikes. So it wasn't the one that's in the garage. The one in the garage is a, an early Dave Yates, who was one of the custom oh, wow. builders. Yeah. Who was, uh, if you weren't, you didn't have a rally, you didn't have a doors, then you would go to um, one of the custom builders. So he was yeah. one of the maybe two or three of the top custom builders who was who was he was a roadie. Oh, I've heard his name. And he was yeah making mountain bikes. So I had about five or six Dave Yates bikes uh, back in the day. So I've got one through there. However, uh, with my historian's hat on. Uh, you were telling me uh, yes. before we started recording, Charlie, about this project that you've got, and it's ongoing now. We are, we are talking about a current Kickstarter project. So, so tell, tell us about that. Project. Okay, I would be very happy to do so. Uh, it started off because uh, most of the articles that talked about this stuff mentioned me and and my friends. And who doesn't collect a magazine that has an article about themselves? And then as uh, Gary Fisher and I uh, started up our, our little business uh, maybe about about a year and a half after the first of these articles appeared. Uh, then we started to get attention, and of course, you collect those. And uh, it, it became a passion to have every bit of information about what we were doing and what everyone else was doing, because of course you want to keep up with the world that you are living in. And uh, it now uh, represents, I have no idea how much paper, but it's probably on the order of uh, 1,500 pounds or so. And I have already used my archive, maybe 1% of it, to write my book. Um, And then uh, the project is to digitize the rest of it and make it available to anybody who wants to come online and find it. And beyond the magazine articles and the newspaper clippings and so forth, I have everything. I have the race results. I have uh, the club newsletters. I have the spec sheets. I have the advertising copy. I have everything. And uh, that's good in one way and bad in another because it represents a pile that I now have to preserve because I, I you can't just, after 34, five years of collecting this stuff, you, you can't just call the recycler. But at the same time, it costs me money now to own it because I have to store it, I have to protect it, and I have for over 30 years. Uh, and I would like to not only make it available to anyone who wants to find it online, but also to solicit other people who have their own archives mm-hmm. to add to it. And, uh, you know, I have every copy of every magazine. And then, of course, my friends Joe Breeze and Gary Fisher have their own personal archives, and uh, we would expect to include those also. So. The Kickstarter project is live right now. It is called the Mountain Bike Legacy Project. And if you want to check that out, uh, Google is your friend. Uh, And we are certainly hoping to raise, it's a fairly staggering sum because it is a staggering collection. I I can absolutely imagine it because if it's 1% of what's in your book, 
then it's going to be amazing. And as a historian and as somebody who absolutely loves the fact that so many American publications have been put online, so a lot of the 1890s League of American Bicyclists magazines, I can search, as a historian, I can go on and I can search through those without having to go to the, I do go to the Library of Congress and, and research stuff. But if I can do that at home, it's amazing. So if somebody had that kind of resource, that would be amazing. So I personally will absolutely support this now that you've told me about it, because that is just an unbelievably wonderful idea and, and genuine resource. And I wish many other people would do, because a lot of the, the League of American Bicyclists archive was just put in the trash. Probably wasn't even recycled at the time. It was just... They went defunct in the 1960s, and it was just a lot of it. Phyllis was one of the women who, who kept the archive for a long time. Yeah. She kept what she could, yeah. Phyllis Harmon. But then so much of it was junked. And you, there's huge chunks of this amazingly important part of American and yes. global bicycle history, which you can't actually go and get. So yeah. what you're doing is an absolute service to people today and to future historians. Right. right. And, uh, but they had the same problem that I did which is what do you do with a mountain of paper? And, uh, you know, I often thought, okay, there are, I don't know how many, 15,000, 20,000 documents we have, okay? What are the odds that any one of them might be even looked at? But the other thing is that there are, generally is only one copy of everything in there and you can't exactly make it a lending library. So uh, digitalization is, uh, or digitization is really uh, a blessing now because uh, what uh, the League of, uh, of American Wheelmen, now the uh, League of uh, Bicyclists, but uh, what their problem was the same as my problem, and that is your archive is so comprehensive that you, first, it's, it's hard to find that one bit you're looking for, and then second, uh, uh, you, you have to store it and you have to protect it. But now Mr. Google is your friend and you will find that bit that you're looking for, and uh, I... I am so glad the digital age arrived uh, before I, I left, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it started like two or three days ago, is that right? Yes, it started on the 12th. We opened on the 12th. And we've got 60 days yes. in which to, to back this. So I'll put a, um, a link in the show notes. But as you said, it's, it, it sounds like it's relatively easy to just Google that and find it anyway. So I really do wish other people would do that kind of stuff. And then uh, presumably once it's been digitized... This is then something packaged up, which can then go to a, a library. I mean, it could go to your library, it could go to your museum. Mm-hmm. Well, no, the museum. I mean, if the museum had the room for it, it would be there now. Um, but uh, but there is actually a, an organization conveniently based in San Francisco called archive.org. And uh, they do digitization of, uh, of various archives, not just mine. Um, and they also store these archives. Uh, in a safe uh, location, but uh, the reason we, and they would have scanned it themselves, but then we would have lost control uh, by handing everything over to them and letting them do it. So uh, I do want to retain control of the whole thing, uh, although I once it's digitized, uh, I could probably park the paper somewhere else. It sounds like a fabulous project, and uh, I'm definitely going to book it, um, back it. On, on Kickstarter. I'm a Kickstarter fiend. Yeah. I will back stuff that are, are, are valuable and that's that'll be my first history project that I've, I've backed. But that sounds wonderful. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to now get on to the competition and that um, I'm springing it on the guys here. And that is I would like uh, Joe to sign my book, so Bike Boom, 
because Joe wrote the forward for that book. So I'd like you to sign in the part where it's your forward. And then, um, Charlie, if you could sign, there's, there's actually, it's on page one where mountain biking does not feature in this book very much. It's, it's, it really is about transportation cycling rather than you know, recreational cycling. But I do mention it as you know, a part of the bike booms that have been through history and that we had a mountain bike boom. Um, so if you could sign on page one where mountain biking right. is, uh, is featured and then that book will be given away to somebody. So I will, I will come up with some sort of... Um, question it'll, it'll probably be what page has charlie kelly signed so people are gonna have to listen to this thing i'm gonna force them to listen to this <laughs> uh, you um, know I, I let me point out I'll that joe, joe also yeah. wrote the foreword for my book yes and uh and i wouldn't have had anyone else do it uh because joe uh was one of the few people who shared this really profound adventure with me and uh uh and he when i when i when I was finishing up the book, this was my go-to guy for my fact check. I sent him the manuscript, came back with 125 post-it notes, and uh, <laughs> right. and, and my wife and my wife Connie is an yeah. editor, and yeah. so yeah, yeah, that really right. helped and, too. To... Well, I also had two 10-hour sessions where we went through every word in yeah. the manuscript, uh, and uh, and had to correct a few things that the uh, VeloPress editor had uh, changed for me. Well, I am going to buy a copy of this book so it lightens your load. Okay. Well, and that when I when I sell my books at, at, at speaking gigs, I also think, God, I, I don't want to have to carry these things back with me because right. they are these things are heavy. So I like selling books at events. So I'm definitely going to buy a copy of that. I'm going to make you sign the copy, but that's going to be mine. I'm not giving this away. I'm going to get you two guys to sign done. that. Joe's going to have to <laughs> sign it too. But in a minute, I'm going to get you to sign it. In fact, let's do it live on air. <laughs> so you know where your forward is, Joe. So there you go. So you sign that book, and then page one, Charlie. Okay. Uh, for your signature, Sharpie. And then uh, I will come up with a competition, and I will be giving this 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 book away. And this really, genuinely, is totally one of a kind, signed by Joe, who has written the forward to both books, uh, and uh, and Charlie, who is of mountain biking which is mentioned in the book so uh, a pretty unique book i would go joe yeah there's a picture of joe there with his helmet on in fact i took that picture when we rode uh, near um near repack in fact that was on mount tam right. um and i will give this away so uh, thank you for listening uh, today's show it, it's been an absolute honor for me to have uh, these guys with me in my my home in newcastle uh, page one the there's, there's, there's prefixes and all make sorts. Them, make them search for it. Yeah, <laughs> there's all sorts of Roman numerals first, which is actually kind of apt because I'm now going to be taking these guys out to the Hadrian's Wall, the Roman stuff. Um, you found it yet? No, no. That's in. Yeah, it's actually after the introduction. So there's my introduction, and then page one is the history. No, that's not. I know, right here. It is there. Is that number one? That's one. That's why it said mountain biking is here somewhere. So some lucky person is going to get this uniquely signed book with the two signatures of Joe Breeze and Charlie Kelly. So guys, thank you ever so much for popping in to see me here in Newcastle. And uh, best of luck on the rest of your trip. Sell loads of those books, Charlie. And I hope you do really, really well with your archive uh, Kickstarter project. Thank yeah. you. Carlton, thank you for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure.
As I'm sure you could tell, I loved having Joe and Charlie round at my house. Now, if you want to be in with a chance of winning the copy of Bike Boom, which they signed and which IRL signed to the winner, visit bikeboom.info forward slash com. The winner will be announced on Wednesday, July 26. And this has been show 164 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. The next show will be broadcast just as soon as we can get the usual crew together, which is not always easy. Meanwhile, thanks for listening and get out there and ride.